We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Chrysomania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, oh, with the powerful you. questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Well, welcome to the Chris Van Vliet Show, and thank you for being with us on another audio adventure. If it's your first time here, I am obsessed with finding out what makes successful people so successful. And on each episode, we have in-depth conversations and reverse engineer the habits and techniques of the world's top athletes, wrestlers, celebrities, entrepreneurs, you name it. If they are the best at what they do, I want to get their insight and help you apply it to your own life. And the stories that Sam Adonis has racked up in these 31 years that he's been on this earth are pretty mind-blowing. From being signed to WWE after wrestling for about a year, to living and wrestling in England, Japan, and also Mexico, where he was almost killed for both his gimmick as a heel who loved Donald Trump. Oh yeah, you heard that right. And also by his girlfriend at the time, now ex-girlfriend. I'll let him tell you all about that. Sam's real last name, by the way, is Polinsky. And you'll probably recognize his older brother, Matt Polinsky, who works under the name Corey Graves. Huh? huh? Now, now you're seeing the tie-in here. And over the next week or two, you're going to be seeing some of those changes on the podcast that I've been talking about for the last few months. So we are rolling out a new name that's more reflective of what the show's all about. Because the show's never been about me. It's called The Chris Van Vliet Show. But that doesn't really make sense because it's about my guests. It's about shining the spotlight on them. So a new name, a new logo, some new music, but everything else is going to stay the same. Deep, insightful conversations with thought-provoking questions. So you get to see a different side of these guests. And hopefully you can find something in these conversations that you can apply to your own life and that's inspiring for you. And if it's your first time here, uh, if you could hit subscribe so you don't miss out on what we have cooking up, that'd be so great. And I will be your friend forever if you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It takes less than a minute. It'd be so great if you could. Because J-Bone left this one. He says, always a good listen. CVV is always entertaining, no matter who he brings on as a guest. And he's quite inspiring as well. Doesn't matter if you're a wrestling fan and or a fellow podcaster like myself. He puts forth a very positive energy, which is something that's really needed nowadays. Thank you, CVV, and keep up the great work. Well, thank you, sir. And I will, I will do my best to keep up that great work. And I appreciate you listening. Congratulations on your podcast, by the way. I say it all the time. I say the two hardest things about podcasting are number one, actually starting the podcast, because so many people talk about it and dream about it and tell people they're going to do it and then never actually do it. 
And then number two is remaining, like continuing to do the podcast. So congrats to you on doing both of those things. So I first met Sam Adonis when we were both booked at the Independent Wrestling Expo in Texas back in August. This is the event where I did the in-person interviews with Jake the Steak, Gangrel, and Jazz. You might remember that. He's made a big name for himself wrestling all over the world. But now he's back in the U.S. More specifically, he's back in Pittsburgh to continue to grow his career here in the U.S. And he's taken some very interesting measures to make sure that his career can continue to move forward while we're dealing with everything that's going on with coronavirus. So I'll let him talk about that. So buckle up for a great chat with Sam Adonis. Sam Adonis, ladies and gentlemen, how are you? I am wonderful, my friend. Thank you for having me this evening, afternoon, or morning, whenever someone's listening to this. But uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it with you. That's a pleasure having you on. You're in like this man cave of all kinds of wrestling. Wow, this there's so much memorabilia behind you. <laughs> well, it's actually, it is the man cave. I have so much wrestling crap, it could probably fill three houses. But uh, <laughs> me, me and my girlfriend live together and we delegated it to one room, which is nice. So I have a lot of unique and rare toys and that's... That's pretty much my pride and joy. What are the, you have a few, few championships behind you. Which ones do we have there? Uh, This is the title that my dad used to use uh, in a promotion here in Pittsburgh. This one is a championship I have out of Nevada right now. And the top one is one out of Florida. And then this one's just an NWA replica. So I've always been a belt mark, if you will. So it's nice to have things on display to show off to my friends when I'm allowed to have them over. So 2020 was obviously a strange year for everybody. Everybody had to pivot here. And I don't know if everybody's aware of this, but you pivoted into a different job, at least briefly, while the world is, you know, figuring itself out. You've been working as the person who brings us our Amazon presence and gifts and all of our orders. I deliver smiles daily on behalf of Amazon, if you will. Um, Yeah, it's what needed to be done. Uh, this whole situation has been completely uh, unfortunate for everybody. And before this, I was lucky enough to make my living as a wrestler for the better part of the last eight years. And a lot of that has been That's overseas. amazing, by the way. As a true independent, I'm, you know, it's quite difficult to pull off. You know, I just had the, the stars aligned in the right points in time. But uh, this all happened and... I just realized I have bills to pay. Uh, I was too uncertain in the beginning. You know, I, I just moved in with my girlfriend at the time. We had things lining up. I got a car payment, just like anybody does. Yeah. And uh, I'm not the kind of person to wait around. You know, I, I couldn't dig my hole any deeper. So I had to just get a different job. And the nice thing is I'm glad I did at the time because now, you know, this pandemic financially hasn't really affected me at all, but it's definitely put everything into a completely different perspective and made me appreciate what I had. And it makes me want, you know, to return to normal as soon as possible. Well, when the pandemic started, a lot of jobs weren't even on the table. So for you to go out and not only go, all right, I need to get a quote unquote real job, but also like to find one that was possible at that time. I have a friend of mine that worked at Amazon at the time, my buddy Dave, and he had just started about two weeks earlier. And he says, Hey, if you ever need work, you know, let me know. I can get you in here. And it just fell into the right time frame, And I ended up getting right in there. Um, I, I had to fill out my application one day. The next day was a drug test. I think two days after that, I was in training and what? the rest is history. Now I'm like an old pro at it. That's the worst part. You know, now, <laughs> now it's, it's so normal, normal. I feel like I'm kind of good at it. Well, and, and for anybody who's listening to this right now going, oh man, I can't find a job anywhere. These jobs do exist. Well, Amazon's out there. You know, They're always hiring, especially where I'm at. There's a couple other wrestlers that are uh, working for them now just because of seeing my story. The thing that I didn't want to do um, in the beginning, whenever it all happened and, and you know, the work stopped, so many of my friends and other wrestlers were posting online about, you know, Hey, please buy my, my merch. I don't have, I don't have work. Please buy my merch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of me thinks like, well, you know, you're not the only one that a guy got hit hard. You know, the same people that need to buy the merch might not have their job, you know? So it was kind of a, a catch 22. Not everybody was able to, you know, save that kind of money or make that kind of money just off merchandise. So I actually had a box of new t-shirts that I haven't even sold because I didn't want to ask anybody for money when it's a hard time for all of us. The shirt you're wearing right now, is that one of your new shirts? That's one of the new shirts. Yeah. Good shirt. It's a Godzilla style shirt from uh, my one of, it was designed by a buddy of mine for a Japan tour and that never happened. 
So I haven't been back to Japan in about, I think about 13 months now. So I was never able to get these shirts on the shelves over there. You know, I think that everybody thinks that, you know, snap your fingers and this pandemic's going to be over and life's going to be back to normal, but it's obviously not going to happen that way. You're going to have a strange transition out of this back into wrestling, if you will. Well, I think it's, like you said, it's not going to just be easy. It's not going to be overnight. I really don't see it being possible as an independent to pick back up as full time. Uh, the, the amount of shows all over the nation are drastically down. You know, there's just not the volume of work like there were uh, before this pandemic. The independents were as hot as they've ever been. And every weekend, you know, uh, across 50 states and countless cities, there was independent wrestling. Now, you know, on a busy Friday or Saturday, there might be 10 shows across the entire nation, depending on the, uh, the state guidelines and whatnot. So uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to pick up some work through this, uh, being able to stay a little bit busier and you know, not fade into obscurity, if you will. But, you know, everything's changed so much as far as taking care of, uh, of you know, the, the cleanliness, always having your hand sanitizer with you, wearing the face mask and just being overall cautious. Um, it's changed so much that, I don't think it's just going to come back and be normal again. I think I'm probably going to be at Amazon for a while, you know, unless some other opportunity comes up. But, you know, I, I look at it as most of us wrestlers are you know, well-bodied human beings. And this is a task, you know, might as well put ourselves to work and make a few bucks instead of sitting at home. Well, watching that, wrestling. <laughs> that other opportunity that comes up might be, you know, full-time wrestling job. Well, I, I think like, as long as my new gimmick can be the, the Amazon guy, you know, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I can, I can come to the ring delivering foreign objects in an Amazon box. I mean, if there's a Mountie and there's a big boss, man, why not the Amazon driver? <laughs> trying to think of what your finisher could be called. Uh, I have no idea. The, the Primeplex. Oh my gosh, there it is. Look at <laughs> this man. Okay. Brilliant, baby. Brilliant. That's it. I, I need to get in contact with Amazon and like tell them my story. I could end up being on a commercial or something, you know? That, that's a great point. I mean, the fact that you're telling this story to everyone, I think there's a lot of people that might be in your situation and they wouldn't be telling the story. They'd be going, yeah, oh, I am. It's been tough this year. I'm getting by. Well, if fake it till you make it only goes so far. You know what I mean? You, you can't really pull this off right now because I mean, I can't even lie to you and say I'm wrestling. You know, where's the pictures from Friday? Well, how did that match go? You know, they, there's nothing there. You can't really, you know, you can't ignore it. It's staring everybody in the face. And like I said, you know, you got to make lemons out of lemonade. I'm lucky enough to have a job right now because like you said, there's plenty of people out there that you know aren't as lucky. Well, that's what you're doing. You're making lemonade right now and you're drinking it every single day. Uh, exactly. My, my body is taking a beating though, man. These 4 a.m. mornings... I'm tired. It's, it's, uh, it definitely also put, you know, gave me a new sense of respect for your essential workers, if you will. You know, the yeah. people that have been doing this even before, you know, when there was still opportunity, some people, you know, do this on a daily basis and it makes me really appreciate, you know, just the mailman and the, you know, the delivery drivers, um, something little, anytime we go to some of these houses and they'll leave a bottle of water out front and say, thank you, you know, delivery drivers. And that kind of stuff makes a difference because, you know, uh, a lot of people have been collecting unemployment or just, uh, you know, working from home. And these people still get up every day, 4.30, 5 o'clock and deliver you know, in the traffic and the freezing cold. And uh, it's definitely humbling, if you will. And I, I think I'd like to think that five or 10 years from now, when I'm looking back at this period of my life, I would like to see it as a valuable life lesson and experience. Did you get any tips over the holidays? Uh, yeah, I got a couple gift cards. Like, uh, oh, it's that's cool. I always love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I don't think it's as easy to do as a mailman because normally you have the same consistent mailman, but you know, there's so many people that know, you know, exactly what time we're there every day. And you know, a couple of people tracked me down, just some gift cards, nothing outrageous, you know, no story that's going to make any newspapers, but you know, I'm appreciative of that. You know, it's really cool. Just to, even if it's to, to buy a couple of coffees or you know, a subway sandwich on the way home, uh, that's 15 bucks I didn't have, you know? So yeah. it was cool. If we, if we take it back, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but you grew up in a wrestling family. Your your father was, I mean, somewhat of a historian, but also a promoter as well. I, yeah, as far back as I remember, wrestling was just kind of like, you know, part of the family. Uh, you know, my dad used to sponsor these independent wrestling shows at his fire hall. Uh, he was a, a volunteer fire chief and he would buy the fundraisers and act as a promoter for that. So it got to the point where he'd put on these little shows and 
we loved it. My mom would sell tickets. My brother would be in the back helping the wrestlers. I'd just be running around. But, you know, that kind of snowballed into my dad running his own events. Uh, and it ultimately led to my brother, Corey Graves, to be a wrestler. And I mean, as far back as I remember, you know, these toys in behind me were in my hands. And I was playing with them. It's all I've ever known, all I've ever loved. And, uh, you know, my mom probably knows more about wrestling than most independent wrestlers do just because of it, you know, the, the way it is in our household. So this was one of those situations where it wasn't a question of if you were going to be a wrestler. It was a question of when you were going to become a wrestler. Oh, exactly. And, and I've, you know, told this story a few times to a few people, but I was kind of fat in high school. Uh, I wasn't very athletic. I really had nothing to me, but I was very easygoing because of that. And I'm kind of big on the uh, self-motivation and tips and what like that. It's, uh, I've never doubted myself for a second, even when I was heavy, even when I didn't have the girlfriends, even when I wasn't athletic, cause it's okay. Don't worry. I'll be a wrestler. Yeah. When I'm 30, I'll be a wrestler. Don't worry about it. And that mentality has almost kind of guided me in the right direction because, you know, the pictures of me at 18 are so drastically different from myself now. And uh, I'm definitely proud of that. And you did it. So what, what, where, I mean, you're doing it now. What, when did this begin for you? Um, I started, I had my first match. It'll be 13 years, February 2nd. It was, uh, it was 2008. I had my first match and training. I actually, uh, I was pretty athletic in the training. Not, you know, you wouldn't really, I always say the analogy that if your parents own a bakery, you might be able to bake a good cake. And it was, uh, when I was at wrestling school, I was learning things just kind of at a, a, an unnatural pace for some fat kid, my size. And it all just kind of came to me quite well. I had about a year as a wrestler that just went nowhere. I was just the most boring indie, you know, pleather pants and, and kick pads wrestler you can be. And uh, once I turned heel, that's when I really like, uh, you know, decided to embrace this and put the work in. Once I was, I dyed my hair blonde and I realized that uh, I can get people to hate me quite easily and, you know, make people smile when I get my butt kicked. That's when I turned the dial up and started going to the gym, started eating better. And uh, I mean, probably two years after that, I was signed to WWE. That's so, incredible. You know, I, I, part of me, hindsight being 2020, wishes I would have started when I was 15 getting in shape because I'd be Batista these days. But uh, <laughs> how, uh, big, how big are we talking when you say you were fat? I was graduated high school at 294 pounds. That's a big boy. Yeah. I, and I wasn't quite 6'4 at that point. That was about 6'1, 290. Okay. Well, that, yeah, you're, you're a tall guy, which I think is something that not everybody realizes until they meet you. So close to 300 pounds at 6'4, it's, it's big, but it's not like, you know, it's not huge. Right. 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 Now it, it was big enough that it was, it was definitely hard work, you know, and I, I just growing up and having those eating habits and whatnot, it's definitely going to be a, a difficult transition, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because, you know, the nice thing is, I've been able to experience a lot of my dreams, you know, and, and I'm really big on, like I said, being able to believe in yourself and get this stuff done because, you know, it, it, a lot of my friends, you know, a lot of bigger names in wrestling, if you will, I've known them since I was a child. And they would have never guessed 10 years ago or 12 years ago that I'd turn out into the person I am today. And that's just right. uh, something I hang my hat on. So you're two years into your wrestling career. WWE comes around, ends up signing you. You must think, oh my God, I'm doing something right. Yeah. I thought, I thought I did it. I thought I made it. I thought this was the answer to all my prayers and that I'm going to be the next Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Needless to say, that did not happen. Um, I probably had one of the most embarrassing FCW careers you could imagine. Uh, I just was not ready to be there mentally. You know, being 20 years old, living at your parents, you know, making money from the bar on the weekend, going to a good size contract under contract with WWE living in Tampa, Florida by myself is a pretty huge transition. So when I was down there, it just, uh, you know, partying and hanging out and meeting girls kind of, you know, took precedent to what I was there to do. And I mean, I might've had four matches the entire time I was there. I had a knee injury. Uh, I learned a lot. Don't get me wrong. I was there in the class. I was around the right people, but at that age and that immaturity level, I didn't know how to harness what I had. So, right. And this wasn't set up with the same structure that they have now. If you had gotten signed now to developmental, you'd be thrown right into the NXT system. You'd be in the performance center. It might be a little bit more structured than what you had. <laughs> well, yeah. There was a lot of like, uh, you know, scenarios that 
didn't really make sense, but who am I to question these things? You know, I'm just, I'm lucky to be there. And I've been told, you know, you're lucky to be here because I was 21 with, you know, next to some of the biggest superstars on the planet. What did I have to offer? But there was a lot of stuff, you know, like uh, we would have to travel all over and put out the posters and just, uh, I was really good at selling merchandise. That was kind of my role when I was there. Every wrestling show would come around Orlando on Wednesday, Friday night will be Largo, Saturday will be uh, Jacksonville or wherever we go. They say, Sam, you're on merch Friday. I was like, whoa, can I have a match? It's been like six months since I've had a match. No, we really need you for merch on Friday. It's a big show. And like, you know, part of these things, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know how to write my situation, but you know, I just sat back and did what I was told. I eventually got hurt and uh, I eventually got released, but hindsight being 2020, the invaluable experience I picked up there has led to so many huge opportunities in my life that, you know, hindsight being 2020, WWE is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Who else was at FCW when you were there? I was there with uh, Bray Wyatt. Um, Roman Reigns was there. Uh, Seth Rollins was there. Um, I want to say CM Punk was still the champion while I was there. Uh, he came to FCW a few times. Um, there were so many of them. I think there's more people that are gone now that were the, than are actually still there from my class. Hmm. Um, and I think that's funny about just a, a lot of times things come down to when you peak. Uh, yes, I was 21 and I came through the system and got spicked back out. But there's a lot of people that were in that system for a while and made it to TV. And they might have only had a two, three year career and then they were back on their way out. Right. You know, it, it almost feels like maybe it was in the cards for me to kind of get it out of my system early so I can see the goal. So I can, you know, determine myself to get back to that and understand what I want, you know, have to do to get there. Because, you know, it, it's funny now, so many former WWE wrestlers that were my friends, you know, when we were at FCW, will contact me for wrestling work. You know, hey, man, what's going on in Mexico? Who's, who's working in Europe? We should work together. And what's me and say, hey, get me on a show. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's just funny because, you know, I almost got a head start on a lot of the guys that, you know, have been released since. And like I said, the, the, just having that name on your resume, you know, is invaluable. Just being able to tell someone you had a WB contract in pro wrestling, you know, that's might as well, you might as well have a, a degree from Harvard. Yeah. Know? Well, and, you get signed to 21. Your brother had been wrestling many more years before that. What does he think when his little uh, brother gets signed before him? I, I, I think it just broke his heart. I think he was angry. I think he was frustrated because wrestling does that to all of us. You know, sometimes we have our ups and we have our downs. When I got signed, I kind of went behind his back. Uh, I told him I wanted to do some extra work and he said, no, you're not ready. And he knew I wasn't ready, but I went for it anywhere. I got this DVD, made this fancy cover, put out these eight by tens, nice typed resume and physically sent a package to Titan Towers. And wow. about two, two weeks later, I got a phone call booking me for some dates, did those dates. And then they flew me to Florida for a tryout where I did well. And I got a job and I don't think, uh, I definitely think my brother probably would have said, yeah, okay, Sam, go for it. You're just going to look like an idiot. You're not going to get anything. And, you know, he was right in the long term, but short term, you know, it got me an opportunity and, you know, it blossomed into a lot of different things. Well, he ended up getting signed eventually. I mean, everyone knows him now as a commentator, but I mean, he wrestled for many, many years. He got hired two days before I got released. I was actually coming off an injury and just, I was pretty down. I, I knew the situation. I knew things weren't going my way and I knew I needed something to happen or I was going to get released. On a Wednesday, I got a phone call. I said, guess what? What's up? I'm coming down to Florida. I says, what? You coming to visit? I got the job. And I, oh my gosh, yes. And it was like that little spark underneath me that I needed, you know, because now things are going to be better. Now my brother's going to help and, you know, lift my spirits up and be with me and we're not going to be alone doing this. And literally two days later, I had a couple of the wrestlers in the car. We were supposed to go to Destin, Florida, I think. And uh, I got about 45 minutes out, I-4 in Orlando. And uh, I got the phone call from Johnny Ace saying, hey, uh, yeah, you don't need to come to the show today. Oh, my gosh. And then your brother's stayed, like Corey Graves has stayed signed ever since then? Yeah. Yeah, he's had the job the entire time. Uh, that's one thing. And it's funny because a lot of people don't know he has a brother. And a lot of people don't know that my brother's Corey Graves. 
And I don't know, I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot that I don't ca- capitalize on that. But the other side of it is like, nobody sees us as brothers. And I think that's kind of cool because, you know, as soon as people, I swear, if I got a WWE contract tomorrow, I would just be Corey Graves' brother, no matter how good I am and how many things I do. Oh, he only got a job because of his brother. Yeah. You know, whereas the path that I'm on now, what I've already been able to carve out for myself, you know, th- th- there's not such a strong relation there. You can't see the relationship. So if I got signed, you know, now there's going to be a lot of people that say, who's the Sam with honest guy? You know, I like him because uh, we, I haven't really milked off my brother at all. And you, I think, are I, I think it's with your brother. Uh, yes and no. Uh, WWE is a very, very busy place. So uh, I don't really get to see him as much as I'd like. Um, but we almost always have like a, a running line of text messages, you know, a couple texts a day, just random stuff, just brotherly stuff. But, you know, as far as wrestling goes, I don't really talk about wrestling with him. Uh, we're just in, you know, completely different universes, if that makes sense. You know, I think if he was going to, if he wanted to help me, he probably would have done it by now. So I really don't bother him with my wrestling problems. You know, uh, I know how to handle my situation. And, you know, my brother knows the WWE system more than most of the guys there. But my brother has also never wrestled in Mexico and never done a lot of the things I've been able to do. So it's kind of like apples and oranges as far as the wrestling relationship goes. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were at his house for Christmas Eve. He's my brother and I'll always love him, but uh, we're, we're not exactly joined at the hip. Maybe that's a favor you call in when you think you're ready. Two years, five years, whatever from now. Well, I'd like to think that hopefully I can do it before it ever has to happen. Hmm. But, you know, who knows? This business is unpredictable. Um, we just got to get back to wrestling in the first place. But yeah. I'm just, I'm so ready. Um, you know, like I said, this February will be 13 years as a wrestler for me. And, you know, I've been able to really hone my craft and learn from everybody all over the world. I taught myself Spanish in Mexico because of, you know, communicating with the wrestlers and just the amount of time I spent in Japan, you know, learning their style and how to learn cultures and people. I think I have a lot to offer, you know, and whether it's WWE or some other company, uh, I, I think... I'd like to think that pro wrestling has made me a little bit of an interesting human being just because of the uh, the stops along the way. Yeah, you're definitely an interesting human being. I mean, look at all the different places you've lived. So after FCW, after living in Tampa, you went and moved to England. Yeah, that was actually really cool. And at this time, right when I was in FCW, I was rather tight with William Regal. He was one of my favorite people while I was down there. And we were able to stay in communication and I actually ran into him at Disneyland, which was random. Wow. Uh, yeah. I was, I got fired on the Friday and then on the Sunday, TNA was having a pay-per-view in Orlando and I went to, to the tapings. Cause I'm like, maybe if I watch some wrestling, see some of the boys, get my, my head off things, you know, I was, I was kind of just trying to come to terms with things and I get there and there's this system of free tickets and wait in line and all this. And I'm like, I just got fired from WB. I'm not waiting in line with a bunch of TNA fans you know, no disrespect to the, the impact fans, but you know, it was just a, a, it was a difficult time in my mental state right then. Well, you so were going to have to make the shift from going from performer a few days earlier to being a fan now. Right. Yeah. And I just wasn't in the mood, you know, because a lot of those fans did recognize the FCW guys. True. I didn't want anyone saying, Hey Sam, why are you here tonight? And not in destined with these guys. And yeah. I just got released. So as I'm leaving, I said, I'm, I'm going home. And I walked by and Regal was there with his family. Apparently he had free tickets and he had no idea it was a TNA show that day. So he was ducking and dodging all the fans as well. Uh, <laughs> and he he actually put me in contact with Brian Dixon, who's uh, one of the oldest, longest running promoters in the world. He's been doing 50 years as of this year, if you can count wow. this year. But uh, he put me in touch with him and that got me to live in Liverpool where I stayed for the better part of four years. And that's where I really learned how to wrestle because the, the, you know, the, the amount of shows, you know, wrestling hundred or 150 matches a year, you know, you're going to learn your craft and, and pick it up. And that's really where I, I kind of started making waves and you know, developing into the performer I am, which eventually led me to the opportunities in Mexico and the opportunities in Japan. So when you go to England, you're working for one promoter who's booking you on all of these shows? Yeah, that's oh, not, that's I, great. I had a, I was the nice thing is I don't think I've ever worked outside the United States without a visa. Every time I've ever traveled to these places, I've had like you know full time gigs, and you know it's all paid for and and it's taken care of. But 
I stayed in his house. He had an extra like guest house on us, or if you will. It's something that wrestlers know all about. It's called the Digs in Birkenhead, England. I mean, tons of wrestlers. Daniel Bryan has stayed there. El Generico has stayed there. You know, so many people have stayed at this notorious wrestling house. And you literally just, you know, lived your life there. You get a date sheet once a month. And he said, you know, you know what time the bus leaves. So he comes and picks us up. I say bus, but it's really just a minivan. So we all meet in the minivan and, you know, drive five or six hours, wrestle, sleep. Next day, drive five or six hours, wrestle, sleep. And it was actually, you know, pretty close to the old school territory style of wrestling, which was, you know, it was awesome for me, just the experience and, and you know, hearing stories and learning the, the actual job. And it was definitely a good time in my life. What do you think was the first real takeaway from the British style of wrestling? You know, because you were wrestling in America up till that point. What was the real takeaway for you? The the And this, this is something that has stayed with me all over my career. And the British style of wrestling is done best by the British. A lot of it, and it's not just, it's not just the British, it's the, the Lucha style and, and Japanese Paresu style. The thing that I've come to learn is that most of my work where I'm at, and you got to take yourself out of the realm of wrestling fans. Just put yourself in the realm of John Q. Public. People have one idea of what it is that they're seeing. And a lot of them don't want to know more than that. Yeah. Some of these wrestling fans might just be there with their kid because they like it. They see American wrestler. They want American wrestling. They, they make the correlation that I'm something like you'd see on a WWE or an Impact. So, that, so, you know, it's a little bit more dramatic. It's a little bit more, you know, uh, strike oriented. What, you know, there's a million examples I can give you. But what I've learned in England was to stay American. And that little detail was so, so uh, crucial to, to the other opportunities I've had. It's the same thing in Mexico. They want the American wrestler against the Mexican wrestlers. They want the American guy against the Japanese wrestler. So you shouldn't really, you know, change your style that much. Years ago, you know, wrestling was American. People thought, you know, around the world, they look at wrestling as, you know, the American sport. Whereas now the new style has kind of evolved into a hybrid of Japanese and Mexican wrestling, you know, with some strikes. And it, I think staying traditional is what I learned there. And it definitely helped my cause. I just want to pause for a second because I know we have a lot of podcasters who listen to the show and a lot of aspiring podcasters as well. And I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, which is a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to that next level. Or if you've always dreamed about hosting a podcast, but you didn't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art. You'll do Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, all kinds of stuff. And you'll also get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and every other listening platform. The best part about this you can get all this for just $15 a month, which is the same rate that any other hosting site would charge you. Just We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As for the initial setup... So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you really want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your podcasting experience. But acceptance into the program is pretty limited. So get your application in today. To apply, just go to bwhustle.com slash join. You can also check out the description box of this episode to find out more info. But again, that's bwhustle.com slash join. 
This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. Now, this isn't a crisis line. This isn't self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room with traditional therapy ever again. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insight and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So the special offer for anybody listening to Insight right now is 10% off your first month. Just go to betterhelp.com slash insight. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash insight. When you first moved to England, how long did you think you were going to be there for? Ah, I don't remember. I mean, you ended up being there for four years, which is a long time. That's that's a college degree. I actually there. I wasn't there four years continuously. I did come through, come home at that point. But my first time there was, I want to say, four months. And in the third month, I actually tore my meniscus and needed a surgery. But I the the NHL the NHS system. It was a whole long wait list and whatnot. So I had to tape my knee up and wrestle for another month on that before I came home. Come got on. a knee. Yeah, I got my knee scoped and then I went back and uh, I was back by February the next year. So I, I went for four months, came home for three months, and then was back for a year and a half that next time. And where did you get the interest to go from there then to go try your skills in Japan? Well, Japan came after Mexico. Japan's oh, okay. been. Japan has always been the, the finish line and Mexico to a certain extent, because, you know, I, I was not a, I was probably a little bit more nerdy than most kids. Whereas, you know, while everyone was watching the rock and Goldberg, I was watching Negro Cassis and Ultimo Dragon and the great Muda. I was a tape nerd. I had the DVDs. I was just obsessed with that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, even when I was at WWE, that was always kind of like, huh, I wish I could go to Japan. I wish I could go to Mexico. But when I was in England, um, there would be a lot of wrestlers coming through the doors just for little tours here, little, you know, a week of shows, two weeks of shows. And I actually met Angelico from AEW. Um, he became a really good friend of mine very quickly. And he was living in Mexico at the time. And we would just talk about Lucha. And it was like, dude, how do you know all this stuff about Mexican wrestling? I'm like, I'm a nerd. I watched this. I've seen all of it. And he's like, yeah. I think you like Mexico. So he became a really good friend. It was always inviting me just a bunch of times saying, dude, come to Mexico, come to Mexico. After that, we had a wrestler named Supernova, who is a Bengala in AAA. He was over there. Same thing. You need to get to Mexico. And then the last one was a guy named Black Fire, also from Mexico, saying, Sam, just come to Mexico. So I talked to Angelico. He helped me get some meetings with some important people. And when I got down there, everything moved so quickly that I didn't even have a chance. I was the all-star champion in England. I was, the, I was the, the champion for Brian Dixon. And I literally, I couldn't go back to lose the belt. I just, there was so much happening so fast and there was no opportunity for me to get back there. So he ended up just, you know, doing a tournament for it and vacating the strap. But uh, the second I got there, everything was clicking and, and everything just worked out so well. And I learned Spanish in the process. How do you learn Spanish in the process? Tinder. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's uh, yeah. I did pretty well down there on Tinder and all these apps and whatnot. So Google Translate, you know, with enough consistency, you end up picking up things. You know, you pick up a little bit here, a little bit there. And next thing you know, I, I'm speaking conversational Spanish. And uh, another thing, I would do a lot of press. 
as soon as I got with CMLL, they really kind of, you know, gave me the, the ball to run with and started taking me to TV shows and interviews and whatnot. And I would just try to pick it up as fast as I can. And, you know, it's sink or swim. I think your brain processes something a little bit differently when you have no choice. And the fact that I was living there with no end in sight and, you know, with opportunity at my fingertips, I think that probably helped me learn a little bit easier. But uh, now looking back, I couldn't imagine living a life without Spanish. Did you also speak uh, Japanese? No, 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 no. That's, that's a complete different ball game. Uh, <laughs> I know a few words just to get by and just uh, to be polite, but that's just, it's too complicated for me at this point. Um, uh, and the Japanese, I've been there four times for different amounts of time. So the longest I ever stayed there was five weeks. And I, I don't think that's enough time to learn really what they got. I think in, in did you ever have a moment in Mexico where they were speaking Mexican, speaking Spanish about you and you understood like, ah, oh, they're talking about me? Not, not quite because uh, at least in CMLL, they'd all talk to you and talk about you in front of your face. You know, they joke with you. You know, and CMLL was a bit of a brotherhood where everybody's kind of on the same page. You know, everybody was busting my balls, you know, calling them gringo, gringo, come here, gringo. You know, I never saw anything negative of that capacity. Um, I have since had that happen, you know, whether I'm at a restaurant or if I'm, you know, in another city where you hear it happening and then all you have to do is say something in Spanish and they're kind of caught off guard. So (laughs) not in Mexico though. What would you say is the scariest circumstance situation that you were in, in Mexico? Well, there's two of them. One, one, I'll just leave it at this, my ex-girlfriend. And two was... Uh, <laughs> That's it. No, you're really going to leave it just that. Well, I, I could literally write a book about that. and uh, It could probably be a Hallmark movie because it was pretty dramatic. It was just really, really messed up. She had some well, brothers. Hallmark movies time. have happy endings, though. No, no. Lifetime movies. Sorry no. about that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. But uh, yeah, her brothers were some unsavory people and there was a lot of threats involved and a lot of, you know, just... It was bad. I ended up leaving Mexico because of that. But the other situation that was wild was uh, leaving the arena and an Escalade started tailing me, walking to my car. And I knew it. I just knew this was going on. So my ex-girlfriend at the time, this one went in to get the promoter and he comes out and tells us, you guys got to get out of here now. He ended up calming this person down because apparently... Whenever I was wrestling on the inside, this guy was getting text messages from other unsavory people about how I need to be uh, dealt with, if you will. Wow. For those, well, for those that don't know, in Mexico, I was doing a, a gimmick where I was a Donald Trump sympathizer. I was just going to get into it. Yeah. Was this yeah. all because of the character that you were playing? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And that's, that's a crucial detail because, uh, I mean, Mexico is a great country full of just some of the nicest people we ever meet. But, you know, I was antagonizing for sure. I was pushing the envelope. And yes, you know, this was a character that I pulled in and just, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't really a different character. I was just so brash that I came out of the ring with the American flag with Donald Trump's face on it. And this is right in the beginning when he was, you know, considered the most racist man on the planet and everybody hated him. I mean, a lot of people still feel that way, but either way, uh, the, when I was in there doing that, it was 50, 50. Some people would just get into it for the show and then come and want pictures and just say, thank you for being a great heel. Other people, you know, you get that thousand yard stare every once in a while. And you're just like, yeah, it's time to go this particular night. You don't see many black Escalades in Mexico City. They're kind of a, a big fancy car that stands out and they're not around there. I come out of the arena and it's parked to my right. And I remember signing autographs slowly to make sure like, okay, get this guy out of here. Oh, thank you. Hey, good night. Thank you. Thank you. I ended up saying to my girlfriend, hey, go get the promoter. He ended up talking to him. He said, you get out of town right now. Don't come back. Don't stop for gas. Don't stop for food. Go. So I guess he bought a, a few minutes of life for me. Oh my gosh. So this was the time, you know, when Donald Trump was talking about building the wall, like, and here you are in Mexico having this gimmick. So where did the idea for this come from? You knew how much heat this was going to get. Well, the the thing is, and this is just being an old wrestling nerd to me, like heat is heat. Like it's, it's not complicated. It's, you know, some things make people mad. You just go for it. You know, I, I don't ever want anyone to be truly offended by what it is. I just thought we're at the era, you know, that wrestling is wrestling and, and you know what you're getting into. So. I used to wear tights. I still wear tights, kind of like Rick Rude used to, 
with the airbrush art all over the sides. And I was a, uh, I was a representative in a tournament where I was the sole American. So I got the Statue of Liberty. I got a dollar bill. I got an American flag. I put Donald Trump on it. That'd be funny. And instantly, instantly, my bosses were going nuts. The bookers were going nuts. Everybody, the wrestlers thought it was hilarious. And it was just like, huh, you know, whoa, what's, what is this? Next thing you knew, you know, this was about a week before he won the presidency. And then when he won, I came out with the flag because when I lived in England, I was always coming out with an American flag. It was kind of my, you know, my go-to prop, if you will. So it just all fell into place. And out of that, I mean, I had so much international media attention and it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was so cool just having these people, you know, come to my house and film how I eat breakfast and how I walk down the street. Um, Vice did a piece, NBC, CNN, Reuters, GQ. Um, I mean, if you searched YouTube for Sam Adonis right now, there's probably equal parts news media to wrestling. And that's, you know, it was a really amazing experience. I feel like that's a gimmick that could work all over the world because Donald Trump is such a polarizing figure. Even, you know, in a few weeks, he's not going to be the president anymore. But even now, why did you stop running with this gimmick? It, honestly, it's because I came back to the United States. It's too sensitive here. Um, Mexico is a little bit more of a just, I hate to say the word free, but they're more just relaxed. That'd be the best way to put it. They don't, you know, there's not as much of the complaining and the, and the you know, uh, social justice and whatnot that, you know, people just want to be enjoyed. You know, they come to the shows just to hate the bad guy and cheer for the good guy. So down there, it's kind of tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? It's just like, Oh, this, yeah, that's funny. He's, he's a real, real good, bad guy. This guy up here. I think a lot of people don't want to have politics rubbed in their face when they're paying money to watch something. And I think, you know, a lot of people want to escape there every day to come see these wrestling shows. And, you know, whether you like him or not, I think those three hours at the wrestling show is when you want to be away from that stuff. You're here to watch a wrestling show. You don't want to be reminded of this president that you do or do not like. So I just had to get away from it. Um, I, I do it occasionally on some Lucha shows. Uh, if I'm booked in the Lucha capacity, where it's a mostly Mexican fan base, I bring it out because that's how they know me. But, you know, most of the time, I, I don't really like to associate with that anymore just because I don't want to make anyone mad. It's mm. too risky now. Speaking of escaping, that's, I mean, you got out of Mexico, you mentioned it briefly because of this crazy situation you had with your ex. You just got booked on an American show and you were like, oh, honey, I'll uh, see you later. Yes, that's exactly what I did. And to this day, I'm still missing some of the most valuable wrestling toys I ever had because they're still in Mexico. Like you just picked up your life and like you left your stuff there. Yeah, I had a, uh, I had a promoter. I was booked in Los Angeles on a Saturday. And this was a big company that had some money to play with. So I said, hey, is it possible you can fly me to Pittsburgh after my show? Um, I'll make my own way back to Mexico. And they said, no problem. And then I even told my ex at the time, I said, like, uh, I, I'm going to see my family after this. I'll be back in a few weeks. And, you know, and I literally just ditched. And uh, I mean, I, I really, I, looking back, I don't know what kind of choice I would have had because it was the most toxic of toxic, toxic relationships. Um, it was bad. There was literally, uh, you know, she threatened my life multiple times. Um, there was one time she told me that, that the airport knew that I assaulted her. And when I land in Monterey, I'll be going to jail where I'll be killed. And, you know, these things could be completely made up. She could just know how to get in my head, but I'm also smart enough not to take these chances. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I, I just, there was probably a good eight to 10 months where I did not go back to Mexico city because I was too afraid. But you've been back it, since. Oh yes. Yes. Now everything's okay. Um, I, I was actually booked on a show this past April, right, right. As, as the pandemic was in full swing, I was supposed to go back for my first match in about six months. So uh, I really can't wait to get back there. I miss the people. I miss the food. I absolutely love everything about Mexico. So uh, I want to get back. At what point in your escape plan do you think she realized that you weren't coming back? <laughs> I tell you what, I was so scared uh, of the situation that I didn't even tell her I wasn't coming back. It wasn't like I'm on the no, but plane. She must have been texting you like, oh, like, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? 
I was like playing it off. Like, okay, well, um, yeah. When can you get up here? Yeah. I'll buy you a flight and this and that. Cause she wanted me to marry her while I was in Mexico. So she could have uh, instant, uh, visa status or temporary visa status or something. She said, Oh, well, let's just get married now. So whenever you go home, I can come see you easier. Just all kinds of crazy stuff. But I think I probably gave it five or six days into my trip to Pittsburgh where I was supposed to be there is when I maybe picked the fight. And then from the fight, it snowballed. And like, I mean, I was at my house, like just freaking out. I'm 2000 miles away. What's she going to do? Somehow she had me in a, a terrible place and, you know, just manipulative. And it was pretty naughty, man. Pretty wild. You're in a much better spot now. Well, honestly, I mean, this, this girl has reached out multiple times and like, I have no ill will now that we've both moved on. But at the same time, I'm in no rush to, you know, see her ever again. My goodness. Like I said, it would be, it would be an awesome lifetime movie if I died in the end. <laughs> no. Well, like you could die in the movie maybe, but okay. not the real version of this story. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, nobody no, it's, that. It, it's, it's kind of like, you know, those TV novellas, there's uh, there's Spanish soap operas. They're intense. They're dramatic. There's fighting. There's screaming. There was actually a day where she was driving her car and we were arguing. She put the brakes on, on the highway. Well, pulled off of the highway where the tackies are coming. Parked the car, gets out, waves a cab, gets in the taxi. I get in the car and start tailing her around Mexico City just because I knew I didn't have another choice. If I went home, she's coming back to, you know, freak out and start another fight. So it was just, it was absolutely nuts. It made me realize life is, is five. You have your ups, you have your downs. Yes, I was in a top spot in CMLL in Mexico, but my personal life was bringing that right back down mm-hmm. to five. Mm, I like that. That's really interesting. When we look at everywhere that you've wrestled all over the world, who do you think has been the most influential person in your wrestling career? Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon has been somebody that's just, uh, I, and it's not even necessarily just the wrestling portion. As a, as a performer, he's one of the all-time greats. But as just a, a person, as a, I mean, he is just somebody. You see him at the airport and he's just decked out in Gucci. He has style like nobody you ever see. He likes his Cuban cigars. He likes his aged wine. This guy is a classy human being. And he just does everything first class. He's so full of respect. And he's the kind of guy that like, you know, you don't even want to swear around the guy because you have so much respect for him. You know, he's just one of a kind. Um, he's been wrestling for 30 years. He's also, you know, been promoting for 20 years in big arenas all over the world. This guy has his fingers in so many things. And just, you know, the way his his life and his business model has been structured. I mean, he's my absolute hero. I wish I could be like that guy. I mean, you've made such a name for yourself pretty much everywhere else but here. And now it's time with 13 years experience to let people know what Sam Adonis is all about. Well, I think it's been a bit of a catch 22 because things have changed a lot in in the 13 years that I've wrestled. Um, When I was, you know, I, I hate saying back in my day, but you know, anybody will tell you 13 years, it's been a drastic change in professional wrestling. Sure. Uh, when I first broke in, it was almost kind of play by the rules, you know, work hard, just do things right, respect your elders, and and it pays off. Now it's kind of, and it's not just wrestling, it's the world in general. It's almost by any means necessary, get famous. And that's kind of how wrestling is now. My style has always been, you know, learn it right, work the style, you know, work for my boss, do it right. Now there's guys, and I'm not trying to take anything away from these guys because they're unbelievably talented, but now it's almost easier to just put your Instagram clips up and your, you know, small little local promotion. And if you do enough cool things on your Instagram, you get noticed, you blow up and you get those opportunities. I've almost been, you know, blinded by my own hard work, if that makes sense, to realize that I guess I can't see the forest through the trees. I've been putting so much effort into traveling and learning the craft rights that now here in the United States, you know, I, I don't think I really have much name value, you know, as far as a lot of these independents go. And uh, it, it's nice because it's finally started to change. But, uh, you know, I, I've done so much elsewhere, but they were places that aren't really uh, looked at by the American fan base. Not many fans watch CMLL or All Japan. Well, does this mean that, you know, if the opportunity was there, that you'd go back to England and work there for another bunch of months, maybe back to Japan, do the same thing? 
Uh, I, it's a lot different now just because of this, my, you know, stage in life. Now I, you know, I have different priorities. I have different things. I'm an independence. I'm true independence. I've always been an independent since I was released from WWE. You know, I didn't have contracts in England, Mexico, or Japan. I was, you know, mm-hmm. on handshake agreements. I'm always down to work anywhere. You know, I, I would love to work, you know, the big companies here in the United States. I'd love to work more in Mexico, more in Japan, more in England, everywhere I can, I want to be. But the circumstances are different now because, you know, I I have different bills and priorities than I did back at that point. You know, I have a dog now. I have a girlfriend now, you know, that I live with. It's not as easy as it was. (laughs) Yeah. It's not as easy as it was when I was 21 when I was actually trying to escape my girlfriend. I'm, I'm, again, very glad that you weren't killed in Mexico. It's what a crazy story that is. Jeez. Yeah, one of these days, I need I need a full episode. If we ever do a follow up, let's do the whole story and come. Oh my goodness, I, I think people would love that. <laughs> that would probably probably be more entertaining than the actual wrestling episodes. <laughs> I mean, it was there was some crazy, crazy stories, and to the point where, like, you know, it's almost unbelievable. So, what goals do you have as we look forward to the rest of this year? I mean, it's January right now as we record this. What are your twenty twenty one goals? I just want everything to kind of, you know, pick back up and get back to a a reasonable pace. Like you said, I don't think we're getting back to normal anytime soon. Uh, I would like us to, you know, as a society, as a, as a planet, be able to overcome this pandemic and get back to where we need to be, you know, be responsible, keep each other safe. You know, that would be nice, but let's get to a point where wrestling can pick back up. And I'm one of these guys that wrestling's in my blood. You know, it's, it's never gonna, I'm never going to give up. Give up isn't a thing. You know, I could be 70 years old working at a gas station and I probably would still be, you know, taking tickets at the gymnasium down the street. You know, it's what I do. So, you know, right now I have no problem working at Amazon to pay bills, but I want to stay busy. I want to stay consistent. I would love to get some of these opportunities, you know, whether it be WWE, AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact, any of these, you know, because I know I have a lot to offer. And, uh, you know, I I can't even say that's an immediate goal. It's just, to me, it's like I said to you, I always knew I'd be a wrestler. I know that, you know, uh, there's something else out there for me. You know, it's not about, it's not about how, it's about when. And I'm not the kind of person to give up, you know. So my opportunity has not been now. It hasn't been the last, you know, three or four years. But I look at my track record of what I have accomplished and it's been pretty good things pretty consistently. So I'm, I'm confident that the best is yet to come. But uh, it's just, I think I'm more concerned about everybody getting back on the same page aside from wrestling, you know, just get back to normal life and and take care of one another. I mean, you are working, you're working some independent dates. You're working uh, January 14th in Arlington. There, There is still some independent wrestling that's coming together. Well, that's it. That's uh, I'm doing January 14th in Arlington, Texas, uh, brawl at the brew. It's going to be at a brewery, which is, uh, I think it's like downtown Arlington. And that's it's, awesome. it's, yeah, it'll be kind of cool. Uh, it's called Pele pro. They're a new upstart, which is nice, but you know, but that's able- where I met you. I met, it was the same promoter. I met you in yeah, yeah, it, that in last Texas. One in- like, like that was just outside of Dallas, but man, that was August, like, oh, August. Yeah. Well, the thing is, they do these, uh, I guess Texas has a little bit you know, more relaxed laws than some of the other states, which is why they're able to happen. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's why this is happening. You know, it might be a little bit less mandated uh, by the state, for instance. However, the actual promoters are still, you know, stepping up and, and taking on the obligation of keeping the fans safe. You know, they will be social distancing. Masks are required. There'll be hand sanitizing stations. So it's a completely different game. But, you know... It, it's, it's all I've ever known and loved. You know, I'm so blessed and lucky every time I get to lace up my boots because, you know, I, I'm having so much fun being able to perform for everybody, you know? And it's funny because, you know, I, I think a, a good heel is so selfless, you know, and I have sacrificed thousands of Twitter followers and thousands of dollars in merchandise sales because I want to be a heel. I want to be the guy that you hate. I don't want you to like me. I don't want you to say, ah, he's a good wrestler. I want you to hate me. So when I get beat up, you go home so happy, so happy. You don't even, you're not happy that the baby face won. You're happy that I lost. That's what I've always wanted to do, you know, and that's what I'm able to do at these places now. So, you know, just give, being given that opportunity, even on a limited basis right now, um, it's great. I'm so excited for Texas. Uh, there's a couple other things, you know, down the line coming up, but you know, I, I just think 
the, the heels kind of, I don't know. I just feel there's more to it than people give it credit for. Because if you understand how deep it was, it, it, you do it for the fans. You know, yeah. you leave hating me, even though I love you, if that makes sense. Have you always been drawn to heels? No, 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 no. Honestly, like growing up, wanted, who were your guys? Hulk Hogan. I always want to be Hulk Hogan. I want to be Hulk Hogan to this day. But I had my favorites, you know, Muda and, and Kabashi, Onita. I loved uh, Sabu, the Sandman. I've always wanted to be a, a babyface. But I always think being a babyface, you know, you have to believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, the fans don't believe in you. Yeah. You know, that's why a lot of baby faces are the biggest egomaniacs on the planet, because you have to be a little bit self-centered to do so. I've always been kind of too self-conscious to believe myself as a baby face, you know? So I heal. I know that I can give you a better show by getting my butt kicked and crying, you know, than I can pretending like I'm, you know, He-Man. So uh, it's, it's all relative as well. You know, you, you develop over time here in Pittsburgh. I can be a baby face because I am comfortable because they're my friends and family. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know where the voyage will take me, but I know I'm in for the long haul. And I still, like I said, I'm 6'4", 240 pounds. And, you know, I, I have a decent amount of experience. And, uh, you know, I think I can make a lot of good things happen when the time comes. But right now it's a promoter's game. And, uh, you know, I just have to, wait in line and keep delivering those smiles for Amazon. That's it. But like you said, it's, uh, you've got all the tools. It's just a matter of getting that opportunity. And fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, nobody's getting opportunities really right now. Exactly. And I mean, it's either way, if I had to retire tomorrow, I've had the best life you can imagine. I mean, the, the stories I have from, you know, countries and people all over the world would literally, you know, blow your mind. So there's always that. And I'm always grateful for that, you know, but now, like I said, my priorities have changed um, to the point, you know, I'm 31 years old. I'd like to have children, you know, I, I have a good family here that I want to take care of. I want to be able to provide for. So it's not necessarily now about going out and finding the good story as much. It's about, you know, fulfilling other dreams. Well, you said the word there that I always end every interview with. I, I always talk about how being grateful is just something that can completely change your life. And, you know, I have it behind me here. If you're grateful, then you'll live a great life. So I want to know, Sam, what are three things in your life that you're grateful for right now? Uh, I, I'm gonna. I have three specifically, but I'll, I'll I'll put them all together as family. I have the best family structure, and I'll even include a friend, the people in my life. That's that's one of the most you know the most grateful things that I have. It's just. You know, we've had a great Christmas. We've had a great year. My girlfriend's my best friend. We have a dog. We spend every night together having a blast. We have our neighbors that we get to see. Uh, my family's still here in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm so incredibly blessed to be as close to my family as I am. Um, the other thing would be my, my, I don't even know how to be thankful for it. How, how do you say you're thankful for what you've already been able to accomplish? Um, I just, it, there's just so many th dreams that have come true that, you know, seven-year-old Sam would never imagine, you know, we were in Mexico city and my parents actually came to one of the shows down there and I was in the main event against Ultimo Dragon and I tore his mask off in arena, Mexico in front of about 10,000 people. And I had done this a few times already. So this, you know, talk about taking it for granted. It meant nothing. It's just what we do. It's just what I do. I've done it before. I'll do it again. So after the show's over, I come in the back and I say, so dad, what do you think? He goes, you took Ultimo Dragon's mask off. And I'm like, what? You, Samuel, you took Ultimo Dragon's mask off. And I'm like, holy cow, I did. You know, <laughs> Seven-year-old Sam would have lost his mind if you'd have told him that. So, you know, I'm definitely grateful for so many of the experience I've had, you know, and, uh, and at, I guess the last and final, and, and these are in no particular order, but it would just be my health. You know, I, I feel great. I, I, I think I've always, you know, progressed over the years, you know, starting at a, at a chubby kid that was not very athletic to, you know, being able to do some of the fancy things I can do being today. Being an Adonis. Yeah, exactly. You know, you saw me beat Brian Cage with that 450. So, uh, That's right. you know, being healthy and being able is the, you know, the, the final thing I'm grateful for. You know, I should touch wood right now because we are in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and, and the whole situation has been horrible for everyone. And I'm sorry to anybody that this has been difficult on, you know, but uh, I just, I feel so blessed 
And like I said to you, uh, you know, a couple of hours ago, three or four hours ago, whenever we started this thing, but uh, I, I think, you know, at this point in my life, five years from now, I will look back at this and really be grateful for this period because it was so humbling. You know, it really put everything into perspective, friends, family, you know, everything. And, and like, you know, there's just so much good that can come from it. I'm just ready for us all to be able to look at this in the past tense. That's it. You nailed it. It's all about perspective. It's all about being able to look at things through that lens. And that's exactly what you're doing right now. It's, I mean, it's the price you have to pay, you know, again, this could all just be something that, you know, in the future, this could be a story to tell you, you know, someone else, Oh yeah. When I was 31, I was driving for Amazon. No way. Really? You know, it's all part of the journey. You know, I heard a good quote the other day. I'm I'm probably going to screw it up. Oh, I love good quotes. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. Um, there's no treasure at the end of the journey. The treasure is the, the treasure is the journey. Mm-hmm. No, the journey is a treasure. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I told you I'd screw it up. And there's there's no treasure at the end of the journey. The journey is the treasure, and that's pretty accurate because you know you don't see it until it's you know not there, and and it's now you know being removed from wrestling to say, holy cow, I've had a great life. I'm so lucky to have these people around me. And, you know, it's just, just keep on plugging, man. That's exactly where we're going to end things. I love that. Uh, it's been, it's been great, man. Um, uh, I have my social media. If you could plug Please, that for of anybody. course. Yeah. Where can I, people find you? People can get me on Instagram and Twitter on at real Sam Adonis. Um, Twitter is all about old wrestling and just the matches I'm watching. I, I pay attention to the old stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's my obsession right now. So if you ever want some old wrestling footage to watch, check out my Twitter. Um, Instagram's got some cool pictures of me, the family, personal and wrestling related. Um, and I just appreciate everybody. If you can come out to Texas next week and see us on the 14th at Pele Pro in Arlington, that would be great. Um, shoot me a message on Instagram or Twitter. I'll do my best to get back to you, but I just appreciate everyone out there listening. And uh, all I can do is hope everybody there stays safe. We appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. I'll see you in a few weeks. Well, there we go. Sam Adonis. And I think it's pretty admirable that he saw COVID for what it was early on. Some bookings started getting canceled, then some more bookings started getting canceled, and he realized that he needed to make a living. So he started delivering smiles for Amazon, as he calls it. And I think we're all you know, hopeful that things can start to get back to some sort of semblance of normalcy in the next six months. Is that fair? Is six months fair? Although Sam now has this great job that probably pays pretty well that he's doing with Amazon. But, you know, I'm hopeful for him that wrestling picks back up. I'm hopeful for all of us that it can pick back up and we can just get back to what we were doing before. You know, I've always loved hearing about people who bet on themselves. And that's exactly what you hear when you listen to Sam's story. And it reminds me of this quote from Malcolm Forbes that I'm going to leave you with. Malcolm Forbes once said, too many people overvalue what they are not and undervalue what they are. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. We'll see you on the next one for some more insight. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.